In our previous episode on Dragon Babies, we talked about the impact of cultural belief, how it came about, how it's changed, and how it affects society today in areas like education and employment. But actually, we also kind of left out a really crucial impact, that on the family. So to make up for that, let's talk about families, or rather its most economically interesting form, the family business. To say that family businesses are important would be a severe understatement. They're the lifeblood of any economy, the cornerstone of society, the capillaries through which decades of culture, history, and tradition flow. Mention family businesses and you immediately evoke images of an Ahok's fishball noodle, or an Ahmad's car repair, or a Mutu's barbershop. Forget about the big flashy banks or the global MNCs with their thousand-acre headquarters, these are the unsung heroes whose stories rarely get told. Stories of blue-collar work, hard work, and honest work. It is through these family businesses that economies grow, societies flourish, and generations of a people live to carry their name. But alas... Perhaps the most striking characteristic of family businesses is that they don't last. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right, Danny. Um, the statistics really show that about 30% of businesses make it from the first generation to the second generation. Um, 12% make it from the second to the third, and even less, 7% make it from the third to the fourth. Let's talk about that. Hello, 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 and you're tuning in to an episode of the Economical Rice Podcast. Now, before we dive in, I feel like I have to be upfront here. This is a particularly personal topic for me, having been a beneficiary of a relatively successful family business and who is currently at a crossroads as to whether to join and continue its legacy. It's a dilemma that plagues many within my generation for sure, but fortunately, there are people out there who can help with just this sort of thing. People like our guest, Rochelle Clark. I am Rochelle Clark, and I am the founder of Succession Strength. Just a little bit about my background. I am a graduate of the University of Pennsylvania's Wharton School of Business, and I've spent about 20 years helping companies of all sizes execute their global strategy. Having spent my career facilitating this interchange of best practices and practical solutions, I now help family businesses and entrepreneurs overcome the barriers that they have to smooth successions. Impressive academic and professional credentials aside, Rochelle also notes that her interest in consulting is actually an extension of her own personality. By nature, I've always been a curious person and I've always wanted to help. Um, So I think combining that when I was growing up, I saw consulting as the perfect way for me to assist on a more, I would say, a broader platform. While her venture into helping family businesses was born out of personal tragedy. For me, a few years ago, I was flying back from a family funeral. And on the flight back, I was frantically typing up a business continuity plan for the family business. Um, 
You see, what happened is that a family member who owned a thriving family business and was grooming his successor to take over the business, well, unfortunately, he passed away before her preparation was complete. And that essentially left no one who was strong enough to really manage this business. Um, you know, so I was doing as much as I could to really step in and assist at that time. But as a result of, you know, his passing and the lack of a, a strong enough successor, there was actually a period of chaos and disruption in the business and the business took a major hit. I mean, fortunately, the business still exists, but it really impacted the lives of family members. Now, as we look deeper into the reasons as to why family businesses fail, one key thing to take note of is this emphasis on the idea of succession, as in how the family business transitions from one generation to the next. With that being said, here's Rochelle with more. And what we found is that the reasons for this are numerous, but one common contributing factor is poor or ineffective communication that results in failed successions. Another, of course, is the failure to plan for succession in the first place, which, as with any major change, could be incredibly stressful for a business. So planning is important, but we see that most of the common complaints that we hear are rooted in communication and improper or poor communication. And the next key insight is on communication. In any organization, being able to relay and receive ideas or instructions are fundamental to success. I mean, that much is common sense, right? But putting it into practice is not always the easiest thing to do. You've got to consider things like staff morale, motivations, desires, and not to mention relationship structures or organizational hierarchies. All this matters in deciding what makes for effective communication. And it can get really messy at times, particularly if you're in a family business. You know, I think it's it's not so much of a stretch um, to see the conflict as it plays out. And, you know, you have very popular television shows um, that really <laughs> highlight the fact that, you know, the internal drama when a family is in business. And, and a lot of times, sadly, this isn't very far from the truth. Um, poor communication in a family business usually happens when family members become so concerned with maintaining the personal family relationships that they may shy away from having the tough and professional conversations that are needed for the business to survive. And, you know, this is due to a number of reasons. Cultural context definitely is one of them. As you might know, in some cultures, um, it's it's very difficult for members of the younger generation to voice any opinion that goes against what is either expected of them or what has been set forth by members of the older generation. Um, but you also have situations where, you know, even aside from the cultural context, you then get to the individual and and the individual's personality that prevents them from wanting to rock the boat, so to speak, you know? So it's, it's, it's a mentality of, well, I will go along with this in order to get along with my family. So as you can start to see, communication is not only important for imparting, say, the company's mission or vision statement, but also for aligning the expectations of the business owner and the intentions of the successor. 
what makes things difficult is when these communications are not held explicitly or effectively. Maybe the owner expects the successor to take over after graduating, but the successor has other plans, or maybe the successor wanted more responsibility and control over his actions, but the owner wasn't prepared to give that up. In fact, if it makes it any easier, you can try to think of the owner-successor dynamic and the problems of communication as a kind of marriage. <laughs> you know, it's it, it's funny. It's funny that you mention this. We we also have a book. We also have a book out, and in the introduction to this book, we equate this with, exactly with a marriage because. You don't wait until you know you're at the altar to figure out whether your wife wants to have kids. You know, there's some things, or there's some things that you need to figure out way in advance. And this is like a courtship. It needs to be like a courtship where you start the process early enough to understand what your intent is on both sides. Yes, it may be between father son, father daughter, mother son, mother daughter, whatever the, the 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 combination is. But are we a good fit? Not because we have we share the same blood means that necessarily you would like everything that I like. And what we have found is that we have many, 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 many situations where business owners or or managers enter into this succession relationship, assuming that the successor wants this role. Because you know they come from the same background, they have the same interest. When, when you actually get to having the conversation, the successor doesn't want to do it. And similar to any marriage, if you don't hash out your differences or tensions early on, this will inevitably lead to problems down the road. We've seen situations where a successor is more or less expected to take over the business. But that successor basically goes along with that expectation, without necessarily voicing his or her whether their concerns or full-out objections with taking on this role. You know, one of the things when it comes to a business and owning and running a business, there are many times when things get difficult, when you really need to draw from that passion within. And that motivation within is what really helps you to get over those hurdles and get over those bumps. Now, if you don't have that motivation to begin with, when the rubber hits the road and when things get tough, it would be very tempting and very easy to throw in the towel and basically quit or not see things through. And it's 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 during situations of. Whether it's it's conflict or just hard times in the business, that we see things fall apart with a successor who may not have been a willing successor in the first place. So by now you might be wondering why an unwilling successor would even want to join in the first place. I mean, it's not like they're being forced to work or anything, right? Well, yeah, they're not technically forced, but family dynamics makes it tricky. Which leads to something called the successor's guilt. Absolutely, the successor's guilt,、um, where you know, just like you said, my family maybe came to this country, and they, or maybe it's in my home country. My family has worked, or my parents have worked so hard on this business, and as a result of the business, I was able to live the life that I have lived. You know, perhaps go to X or Y or Z school,、um, and there's that expectation that well, now it's my turn. I need to keep this going. 
um, I need to honor my parents or honor my family by continuing their legacy. So there is that weight on the shoulder of a there could be that weight on the shoulder of a successor that they don't, as they say, drop the ball when the time comes for them to see the legacy of their family through. There is tremendous amount of guilt. And what you find is that a lot of them do take on the role. Perhaps it may not be the best fit. And as a result of that, perhaps they don't do the family business as much justice as the business deserves. Okay, so at this point, we've basically laid out a rough big picture overview as to why family businesses fail. Poor communication, mismatch of expectation and intent, and so on. But Rochelle is in the industry of preventing exactly that from happening. This is where her company, Succession Strength, comes in. So we focus on two things, and our approach is basically knowledge for action. How do we ensure that they have the knowledge? And then how do we then get to the action? So we help family businesses and entrepreneurs firstly identify their potential transition hurdles. And secondly, we help them to overcome those hurdles by improving their communication and preparation through either our self-help tools or our coaching. Now we are, we're going to move on to a segment, um, and this is a segment that me and Rochelle talked about. If you recall from the start of the episode, I mentioned how this was a personal topic for me. Well, in the interest of trying to confront these problems, I decided to try one of Rochelle's products, an online survey to test your succession readiness. If I'm ever going to resolve my own dilemma with joining the family business, I think knowing where I stand would be a good start. And Rochelle has, um, and I've sent, I've sent Rochelle a copy of my detailed, detailed uh, report. Uh, and she has, <laughs> but yeah, I wasn't really expecting a good grade on this. So, um, yeah. So, so do you have the uh, the the report in front of you right now? I do, I do, I do that. Okay. So, so what does the report say? <laughs> so the report starts off for the benefit of the listeners on 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 the program. Right. The report starts off by giving an giving an overall assessment of the strength of the succession. So it says whether the succession is likely to be strong or normal or stressful. Okay. Because with any change, there is some degree of stress, but you want to ensure that it's not so much stress that it disrupts the business in a negative way. Mm. After you get that overall assessment, it then rates how you are likely to perform along the three pillars, communication, preparation, and execution. Mm. And again, it says whether it's strong or whether it's weak, you know, whether it's stressful or whether it is um, strong. All right. So, Danny, tutum, <laughs> do your results. <laughs> So it starts off by saying essentially that overall, your succession is likely to be quite stressful. <laughs> right? All right. And what, the way that it rates the three underlying pillars is that communication 
is some work needs to be done there. So it's a little bit weak at the moment. Mm-hmm. Preparation is a little bit weak at the moment. Although execution is coming out as being strong. That's pretty much what I expected. Being introverted and a part of a traditional Chinese family, communication is not exactly my strong suit. I rarely speak up or challenge ideas raised by the older members of the family, and even when I do, it feels like I never get taken seriously. This probably extends into the preparation component as well, though the execution of it is strong due to my brief stints helping out and familiarizing myself with how the business works. Turns out that's not really enough. Now you may be thinking, but wait a minute. If my execution is strong. Then that's all that matters, right? Well, no, not necessarily. If you think about,、um, let's think about the an, an iceberg. I know you live in Singapore, so there's <laughs> probably not snow, so no icebergs floating around. And for the majority of the world, we don't actually see icebergs,、right. but we're probably all familiar with the Titanic and how that Titanic sank. Right. You know, an iceberg is essentially a floating piece of ice in the water, but the element that you see is very tiny, and it sits above water.、Mm-hmm. What you don't see is the mass of ice that sits below the water line, <laughs> and that can do some real damage to a ship, even like the Titanic, if it comes, you know, into contact with the parts that you don't see. After extensively going through the report. Rochelle basically summarized my situation as being in a kind of succession limbo. I really couldn't have put it in better words myself. To which she advised me to start having these succession conversations to see whether there is any proper fit, and that if there is, to start laying out a plan as to how I would tackle my succession going forward. In fact, if any of you out there are facing a similar situation, do check out her company Succession Strength to see if her suite of products can be of any help. Again, just to reiterate, Succession Strength is a company that helps family businesses and entrepreneurs navigate smooth successions by focusing on communication and preparation. The free assessment survey that we just went through helps with identifying potential succession weaknesses, and can be found at www.successionstrength.com, along with her other products like conversation guides and strategies, as well as her book, The Five Critical Succession Conversations, which can be purchased on Amazon and any major online retailer. Rochelle Clark is a wonderful person and a dedicated consultant, and I cannot recommend her highly enough. Do look out for all the relevant links in the description. However, for the sake of this episode, I was still a little curious. I mean, my own situation was pretty much in line with what Rochelle has been saying, but what about the Ahoks and Amats and Mutus out there? Do they have the same problems and worries that I do, or is there something else that I've missed out entirely? To help me color the local context is our next guest, Jerry Tio. Hey,、uh, my name is Jerry. I am a full-time freelance illustrator.、Uh, I didn't come from illustration background. Pretty much, my entire family doesn't do art. <laughs> so yeah, 
That's me. As noted by Jerry, his current role as a freelance illustrator contrasts against his own family's commercial history, aka the true blue-collar OG Ahoks of Singapore. My granddad on my mom's side was a barber. Um, my dad's dad, my, my paternal granddad, uh, he used to be a butcher who runs a store outside uh, Little India, the very old Tekka market, which is not where it is right now. Uh, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it, it, it was a long time ago. <laughs> it was a long time ago. This butcher shop would be the first iteration of a family business when it was first passed down to Jerry's father. Uh, my dad, on the other hand, is the oldest boy in the family. So went up to secondary two, he wasn't very good. And my grandpa was like, you know what, if you're not going to be serious about school, then you better go to help out with the family business. So uh, eventually my dad inherited his um, uh, butcher business. And thus marked the beginning of the Teo family business story. One filled with many twists and turns, ups and downs, and successes and failures. In terms of uh, you know family business and succession, right? So it seemed like it continued between the first and second generation, your granddad and then your dad, right? Uh, yes and no. Uh, yes, my dad continued because he probably didn't have... Because uh, my, my, my dad's a really chill guy. He doesn't have a lot of... Um, needs to be happy so he's probably happy that oh okay uh, this this gives me purpose otherwise I'll be just cycling with my friends playing football and going fishing every day until I'm like 20 years old I mean that's that's how it is back then right like right. in the fif- 50s in Singapore so um, my my dad actually after a while he, he they realized that the butcher business was not very profitable so he had to stop it uh, they shifted around I, I don't know very well what they did uh, what they did tell me was um, at one point in time they actually uh, made raincoats <laughs> <laughs> so they, they they bounced around a few different things so at one point in time they bounced, uh, they made raincoats because uh, someone said that there was a shortage of raincoats somewhere and I, I they didn't go into details but they didn't um, they didn't really specify where they got the materials from, but someone just dumped like a whole bunch of materials on them and him, my mom, my grandma and everyone else who was kind of like jobless at the time mm-hmm. just started making raincoats and they managed to fulfill the contract for some, for you know, miraculously b- despite having zero experience. Mm-hmm. And uh, after that, I think, yeah, they bounced around and finally my parents actually went in to do a uh, type hmm. uh, which basically they, they did also fulfill contracts they packed they cooked large amounts they packed rice for factory workers um, I think my mom was kind of managing the type business on the side while my dad and his friends who got into that harebrained scheme of raincoats with making raincoats <laughs> so they, they did a lot of really really different weird things right yeah, then uh, up to the point when I was about to be born, when he was, my dad was actually around my current age. Um, he he actually went to, he, he, he realized that, you know, all these things are not really stable and the Dab Tai Pung store wasn't really doing well. Mm. Uh, he realized he had to do something that is uh, 
fundamentally would change uh, the way they they make money. So he went to um, he he went to take up a uh, apprenticeship with this uh, Saola master, mm. like Saola barbecue pork, tasu, uh, uh, roast duck, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So he he went to take a he went to take an apprenticeship under the guy, and after that he he went off and started his own uh, Saola business, which did pretty well. Mm. Uh, was able to raise five kids, sent most of us to uh, uh, university. Mm, wow. Yeah. So yeah, you know, like like you always see um, a lot of hawkers. They drive big cars and live in condo. My parents, on the other hand, they decided to spend their money on the kids. So we we benefited from that. Yeah. From a butcher shop to making raincoats to packing lunches to finally settling as a roast meat hawker, this winding story is just one out of the millions out there that make up our nation's economic history. And against my own relatively comfortable upbringing, it was humbling to hear of the hustle and hard work needed to find success, a narrative that I could relate to as I recalled stories of my own grandfather making deliveries by hand back when the business first started. But at a more deeper level, the aspect, or rather aspects, of family within a family business are also highlighted in these stories. Family is seen as motivation, support, employment, fulfillment, and a whole host of other things. It harkens back to the days where farmers would employ boys to till the fields or girls to collect the eggs. It is an antiquated idea for sure, but one that is very much deeply rooted in our own cultural history and identity. Here's Jerry again with his family's updated version of working the fields. Uh, Saola is also very heavily linked to uh, Chinese festivals. Say uh, Chinese New Year coming up, some people would like to have roast in their home. So usually around this period, we would all have spent the last 36 to 48 hours not sleeping very much because this is the period of time, one of the biggest uh, earning periods in, in the entire calendar year. But typically, we will be uh, the, the entire family is involved. Uh, even sometimes our cousins will come down. Uh, my brothers-in-law, they'll, they'll join us. Um, yeah, so, but, but even before that, you know, even before uh, a good month before these two days, um, we'll be preparing and we'll be cleaning the ducks, um, preparing, uh, getting all the seasoning done. Um, it, it's a, it's family run. We don't hire a lot of people. A lot of it is taken by taken up by my dad and mom, and the rest of us will just go in and help wherever we can. And also an updated version, I guess, for collecting the eggs. Um, but my sisters, uh, they got involved a little bit earlier. Uh, with like uh, taking stock of money, accounting, uh, the kind of stuff that you know, parents of a certain era who are not well educated, they'll be like, I, I send you to school so you know math, right? So help me count this shit, right? Yeah, so they, they are a lot more involved in that. My my oldest sister, she was pretty pretty heavily involved uh, right up to the end when my parents decided to retire. Yeah, so she's uh, running her own, uh, she has her own job, and she will drop everything for those few days, come, up, uh, come down to help out. 
But what about all the stuff that Rochelle mentioned about communication? Did that factor into why Jerry didn't continue with the business today? That is the funny bit. <laughs> there was no indication they wanted us to take over. Uh, partly because that's the reason why they sent us to school, right? It's like if they send if they send you to school, it it, it kind of means they want you to do better than them. Uh, it kind of means that they want you to um, be be someone that they could not have been. Actually, now that you you mentioned it, um, the, there's there's that one time my dad uh, mentioned to me that he's lamenting the fact that no one's taking over. Um, my there there was talks that some of my cousins might be interested, but uh, nothing came out of it. And um, he was he was basically saying, you know, hey, maybe you should take over. <laughs> like what? <laughs> Still not interested now, because <laughs> it's really hard work. In this case, the cause of the failed succession is clear to see. The owner at the time, Jerry's father, made no mention of his expectations regarding succession, and through their support in Jerry's education, even suggested at the opposite, that they actively did not want Jerry to continue with the business. When the time came for Jerry's parents to retire, Jerry had made up his mind to pursue his illustrating career, and the business was eventually sold off. But as Jerry reveals, there was more to consider in his own decision-making process. Uh, my parents' business was successful enough to raise five children, but it wasn't so successful that it's an empire, and. You know, it, I mean, like, if it's an empire, you you kind of have an obligation to investigate whether or not you want to take over. You know, yeah. So so that's the that's I think at that point that's pretty much what all of us were thinking. Because if my my parents' business was at the scale where there's a couple of branches and you're you're not really on the floor every time you're you you have staff and you're running operations, then I think my sisters probably might take over. This adds an interesting wrinkle to what we've discussed with Rochelle regarding failed successions. While factors such as proper communication and preparation are undoubtedly important, these are for the most part internal. As it happens, external factors such as market share, economic conditions, job opportunities, and so on are also significant, particularly as it pertains to the successor's intent. In the developing Singapore that Jerry's father grew up in, the traditional blue-collar careers thrived because there probably wasn't much else available. But by the time Jerry came around, Singapore had already made great strides towards becoming the developed city as we know it today. Education was more widely available, new industries were popping up, and big multinationals were investing heavily in the country. Bringing an abundance of office jobs and leading the shift in how individuals thought about their careers. I mean, why slog away for 12 hours a day in a tiny hawker kitchen when you could work a nine-to-six at a cushy air-conditioned desk job, right? Thus, in light of these changes, as well as how rapidly it's occurred in the span of just a few generations, I can't help but get a sense of. Inevitability to the whole failing family business narrative. 
call it the consequence of modernization or the curse of development, but it just seems implausible that these blue-collar businesses would have survived, barring the small percentage that were savvy enough to adapt and change the times. It is likely that innovation and development, and the comforts and conveniences it brought with it, led to the demise of many a family business. An indirect consequence, to be sure, and also one that is very visceral and all too tangible. Especially when you see the Ahoks and the Ahmads and the Muthus that still ply their trade to this day, some with their 40 plus years of experience. And some others with aching backs and wrinkly hands, but no successor to carry their legacy. However, in this winding deep dive into the family business, Jerry offers us one final twist. Right now, at this stage, at this point in time, pretty much all of us ended up running our own businesses. Yeah, my、uh, my second sis runs a tuition center. My fourth sis runs a HR company. I do my own freelance illustration. Yeah, so yeah, we pretty much run off our own business. Yeah, which is really ironic. With any narrative that involves some kind of failure or loss, it can be tempting to just focus on the tragedy itself. And while I get that you need to maintain some degree of respect, I think it's also important to look at the legacy of what's been left behind.、Uh, yeah, you know, there's regret definitely, but、um, at the same time, no, I think I don't. I don't think I'm unhappy with what what I'm doing. But but if anything, if anything,、um, my my family is tight. And it's not just my immediate family. My cousins, they tend to come out, come come down to help out during the festive seasons. And the family is really tight because we have that shared experience. Like you know, everyone is in this shit together. You know, so so we have a lot of shared experiences, and and that kept us really close. So there there's a little bit of a nostalgia when we get together, and you know, if anything, if it was to keep the family close, someone would have taken over the business. But yeah, in a weird way, failures aren't always just failures. They tell a story, carve experiences, and sometimes provide something truly worthwhile. Maybe it's a lesson, maybe it's personal growth, or maybe just like this instance, a family bond tighter and more closely knit, precisely because of failure. It's not an earth-shattering revelation by any means, but I guess. In a world that is often harsh and full of failure, it's comforting to know that you can still find some solace within them.
what reason to be sad There was a girl whose lover fled I did not wait the while they said There's many another lad There's many another lad there's many another lad. There's many another lad. What I can answer from off the top of my head is he's pretty happy with how uh, his life turned out because you know he he's this he's just this simple kid from 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 Little India. We used to live in Little India, by the way. Yeah, so he's this this uh, uneducated kid from Little India with no real ambition in life and. And he managed to have five kids and have grandchildren, and you know, raise them up, raise them up right. I, I don't know. Some people's definition of success is they make a lot of money, but I guess you know, my dad is pretty successful in that way. You know, he he he, I he's not done anything really wrong. So yeah, you know, I I yeah, I probably should check with him, see what he thinks. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Economical Rice Podcast. Special thanks to our wonderful guests Rochelle and Jerry, as well as to Vincent Bancheri of Mama Bird Recording Company, who gave us permission to use the track Solace, performed by Miriam Gendron. All other music was provided by Blue Dot Sessions and Dr. Turtle. If you would like to learn more about our guests and the music used in this episode, you can head over to our show notes at www.economicalricepodcast.com for more details. Once again, this has been your host Danny at the Economical Rice Podcast, where over here we have to serve you the grains of capitalism. <laughs>